from the bottom of her ass to the back of her knees was completely soaking wet. She pissed herself on stage and still did okay. <laughs> is that what led you to be a club owner? Staying married to my wife is what led me to be a club owner. Laughs per minute is a thing that seems like has fallen by the wayside. It's become a lot of storytelling without as many laughs when thinking that that's okay. The advice I give is this, don't lose sight of the fact of why you're doing this. The number one reason you're doing this is for the audience, not for you. Coming to you from McCurdy's Comedy Theater in Sarasota, Florida, it's the Open Board Comedy Show. Today's guest, Les McCurdy, classically trained actor, owner of the building we're standing in right now. Watch his comedy special, All Sense of Self-Worth. Here's your host, Ron Feingold. Hey everybody, it's Ron Feingold. This is the Open Bar Comedy Show. If you're not familiar with our streaming format, we are about open expression. We're about freedom of expression. And uh, we don't give comics a list of things that they can and cannot say in their comedy specials that they do with us in our content. So today, we have one of the most uh, amazing people in my life because he makes open bar comedy special as well as possible. And his name is Les McCurdy, the owner of McCurdy's Comedy Club. I started working for Les uh, maybe, uh, Jesus, 20, 20 years ago or so. Yep. And uh, you've been in Sarasota for how long? Uh, since '88, so uh, well, I've been in, I've been, I've had the club in Sarasota since '88, so that's been 36 years. I first came to Sarasota in '82, uh, so that's where I discovered this. Town. Yes, yes, and started doing comedy before that. In what year? Um, '80 in Denver at the Comedy Works. Really? That's where I started. You started in in Denver at the Comedy Works. Right. So that's where Roseanne started. That's where she was the an open micer one. with me. No kidding. Yes. Do you have a story about Roseanne? Yes, I have two. Give me one. Uh, well, one was that when, uh, at the, uh, the, back then, uh, there weren't many comedy clubs in the country. Open mic night was packed every night, completely sold out. First time we showed up, uh, we were a comedy team, Ken Sons and I. Yes. Roseanne sat in the corner that we were in a, we weren't, there wasn't a dressing room, it was a storage room. Roseanne was very quiet, just very quiet. She looked like, uh, a, a housewife, sure. you know what I mean, which is what she was. Sure. And she was very quiet, and she would sip on, I think, gin and tonic or vodka and tonic. She just sit there, and and uh, she was like, it, when you first saw her, you thought, oh, this poor woman, and she looked nervous, and and then she got on stage and and was just awesome yeah. every every time. She was always one of the best. But so after uh, I don't know, maybe her fifth or sixth time open mic night so Roseanne was there every time and uh, because she was one of the better ones they would let her go on almost every uh, every week but she was know? raw and developing still yeah but uh, even back then uh, for everybody that got a slot on Monday night one or two got turned away so if 15 got up there were 30 or 40 there trying to get up but Roseanne was good enough she went up in the middle of the, the group um, and Roseanne, you know, she's very de- slow and deliberate. Well, you know. <laughs> and this particular night, she was just firing through her material. I mean, we'd never seen her, you know, really have this pace. And we thought, oh, maybe she's just working on something, right? So after the show's all, everything, everything's over with. We're all sitting at the bar, just having a beer. 
And uh, somebody asked Roseanne, goes, uh, man, what was the deal tonight? It's like you were almost stepping on your punchlines. You were really going fast. She goes, well, she goes, uh, I'm standing there and I got to pee. And when I'm standing there, she's like literally standing on the side of the stage waiting to be announced. And she had to pee. And of course, there's no, she goes, and I couldn't hold it. She goes, so as she was walking onto the stage, she's pissing herself. She goes, I just didn't look down. I just didn't look down. I just walked out, got in front of the mic, did my set, and left. And we were all, and so we're looking at her, and there's nothing yeah. wet. I mean, we're, we're, and we watched her do her set, and we're going, no one could tell. And she goes, wow. And then she turns around real slow. And I mean, from the bottom of her ass to the bottom of her knee, back of her knees was completely soaking wet. So if she turned around, it would have been over. So uh, Yes, but, but the thing of, she was like, I wasn't going to miss my set. She pissed herself on stage and still did okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and maybe learned a little bit more about her comedy. Like maybe I should speed this shit up a little bit. I don't know, or whatever. Yeah. Did it, I'm sure she had a better set if it was going faster. I don't know. This was the other club in Denver back in the time. You remember George McKelvey had a club on Hampton. Well, and when I was in the comedy works, it was McKelvey's club. That's right. It was Ed Nichols and George McKelvey. That was the one downtown in Larimer Square. Oh wow, he—I didn't know he owned that one. He it was the two of them. Oh wow. Yeah. So he owned the one. This was later. I came along a lot later. I came along in 1990. So he owned a club on Hampton Avenue. It was called George McKelvey's Comedy right, Club. Right, right. I remember. Which that. later became the Comedy Club. Right. But um, we had two shows on a Saturday, and we're cleaning up the bathroom. Well, we're not, but the you know the ladies are going in the bathroom. They go in the men's room, and there is some shit-stained underwear left in the in the bathroom, and we're like, we did our jobs. We totally did our jobs. <laughs> They're shitting themselves tonight. Okay, so you uh, you had Denver. That works in in Denver, by the way. In Sarasota, it's just another <laughs> night. In Sarasota, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, everybody shits herself here for no record. <laughs> so um, you were in Denver, and then you have a connection to Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, right? Yeah. And yep. Uh, how did you end up there? Well, I grew up in Chattanooga. Right. Okay. So basically, the, the fast is. Went to University of Memphis, which is Memphis State University, to college. I was on the decade program because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up fluking into the theater department. I got a degree. And once I finished the degree, I literally bought a pickup truck with a camper top on the back of it that I, uh, that I could live out of. And I headed to L.A., you know, to be a famous character actor. That's, okay. what, I, that's what I planned on doing. And um, so on the way out there... My best friend that I grew up with, Ken Sons, who also went to Memphis State, uh, he had an education degree uh, and was out, uh, had just gotten a job in the Denver area uh, and, uh, with a, um, he worked with special ed and this, that, and the other. But Ken had done three documentary films on what he does, and he had an eight millimeter camera that he farted around with. And I thought, you know, I've never worked in front of a camera before. I've only done theater. So I'm going to stop there, uh, hang out with you for a few months, and uh, let's play around with the camera, just so I get an idea of what it is like to act on camera. And that's what opened us up. That's what brought me to Denver. And then we found out there was a comedy club there, which the only other comedy club I'd ever been in 
was uh, in between uh, after a summer stock uh, theater gig. Uh, one of the actors from New York. I went up New York with them. I'd never been to New York, and we stumbled on the Catch a Rising Star, and I saw stand up for the first time, other than the Tonight Show. Yeah, you know, and they were horrible. Uh, uh, it was open mic night, and most everybody was horrible. Yeah, and I, uh, that was my first thought of, "Fuck, this is stand up. This is New York stand up. I could do this." Yeah. You know, well, and I didn't even think about it. But then when we got out to Denver and saw that there was a stand up comedy club there, I was I told Ken, I said, "You know, we could probably try this." So we we um we signed up for an open mic. Went down and watched it a few times. Signed up for an open mic night. And uh, from there, you know, they, they liked Ken and I because we were uh, a team and we did sketch comedy. Okay. And so it was different. And, you know, McKelvey was an improv guy. Uh, Ace Trucking Company, I think, was the name of the group okay. he was with that was actually on The Tonight Show at one time. And so he liked that we did sketch comedy. So we could get every, up every week doing that. And then at a point, we asked McKelvey about, you know, being pros, getting up on a regular night. And he said, I like what you're doing, but it's not fast enough for stand-up comedy. It's The laughs come way too slow, which we didn't think was true, but we didn't know. And he said, y you know, what you're doing is not appropriate for a stand-up. It's just not punchy enough. And we thought, this old fucker don't know what he's talking about. And uh, so we uh, packed up everything, left Denver, and headed back to um, east instead of going west. And the reason we did that was a comic named Adam Leslie, who is uh, now not with us anymore, a uh, New York comic, and Adam gave us the best advice. He said, look, guys, you're just getting started. He said, comedy clubs are opening up all over the country right now. He said, it's amazing. He said, they're blowing up everywhere. He said, don't go to L.A., because that's where we were headed. He said, don't go to L.A. right now. He said, they'll just eat you guys up. I mean, you know, you're just not ready. He said, go back where you're from. Go back to Southeast. Go where you're from. He said, I know that there's a club in Birmingham. There's one in Atlanta. There's one in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, that all those are still there. He said, they're popping up all over the place. He says, my suggestion is go back where you're comfortable and get really good. Be like one of the best there. Then make your trek out, you know, which was fantastic advice. And so we were going to Atlanta. We were going to go to Atlanta, and uh, which the Punchline was there, which was is was a incredible club, maybe the template of what I do here. Uh, those guys just ran an outstanding club. If you couldn't do well there, fuck it, get out. You know what I mean, really. And and the Comedy Works was kind of that way. Yes. Uh, but anyway, uh, a buddy of ours. Uh, that we went to high school with was living in Tampa. And he heard about what we were doing and he called us and said, there's a club here. There's a club here. And he goes, I did a little research and I come, to, I found out he also has, he's doing comedy at some place in St. Petersburg and another place in a little town called Sarasota that I've never even been down to, but there's, he's got three things. And so we were like, well, that was unusual to have three open mics, and they all had open mics. So we had three open mics instead of one, and it's in Florida, South Florida. We're like, hell, what the hell? Let's go to South Florida. So that's what brought us to Tampa, and uh, then 
what brought us to Sarasota was just happenstance. Uh, uh, a job opened up. We were waiting tables and bartending and shit. And uh, a job opened up here, and we heard the beaches were nicer. And back then, the interstate didn't come this far. It stopped in Tampa. So okay. Sarasota, Fort Myers, Naples were kind of unknown, you know, little areas off. And so we came down here and just fell in love with it. Of course, what's not to fall in love with Absolutely. is great. I love it here. And, uh, yeah, that brought us to Sarasota, and uh, that's where I met my wife uh, here. And, um, you know, and then we started to tour, and – at a point and then when pam and i decided to get married and we're going to move to los angeles we decided instead that the only reason we we're moving to los angeles to be rich and famous because we didn't want to live in los angeles so we decided if we got rich and famous where would we want to go if we had all the money to go live wherever we wanted and pam immediately said siesta key in sarasota not Malibu, Beverly Hills. She goes, no, we don't live over there. We don't live in L.A. We would work in L.A. We would keep a condo there, but we wouldn't live there. We would live where we want to live. And this was where we wanted to live. So then we just decided, why don't we live where we want to live forever and see if we can maybe figure out a way to make a living having comedy as part of it. Not, we didn't think we'd make all of our living in comedy. We thought it would be a piece of the living, you know, but live where we wanted to live. So that was the journey that brought us to where we're sitting now. What would you say some of the extremes are? What is the one of the craziest things that you've ever um, seen happen on one of your comedy stages? Do you have... Um, yeah, I had a guy, matter of fact, we just talked to him about him the other day. Uh, God love him. Uh, his comic named Steve Johnson. Uh, Lou Angel Wolf, we're talking about Steve, uh, unfortunately had a very bad, uh, developed a very bad substance abuse problem and it ended up killing him uh, in the long run. But, uh, but very funny guy. And uh, so one night we were, our first club was in a banquet room of a Holiday Inn. And so we were, we're the show was going on. It was a, you know, I don't know, it was a Friday night. There might have been a hundred. 20 people or something like that in the room just a little hum 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 night and uh and so the yeah you had the the room the showroom with the stage on this end and in the very back was the bar yeah uh back here and how people entered and exited and so the show was going on about and steve had been on stage for maybe 10 minutes and two guys walk in and my wife pam's at the front door Two guys walk in and just uh, kind of, you know, just asking, "Hey, what's going on here?" Yeah, yeah, and yeah, uh, it's a comedy club. Yeah, who's the headliner? Uh, Steve Johnson. Da-da. Mind if I peek in? And Pam was a little bit like, "Well, you know, <laughs> you know," and the guy kind of just walked past her and just peeked, you know, and then, oh, okay, and then they just kind of walked away, right? Well, they were bounty hunters. And Steve had warrants out for his arrest. And so these guys then gathered themselves and they burst into the room, burst into the room. And one took one side and one took the other side and they went right down the aisleways. Before, I mean, we could react or anything. They didn't tell us, they didn't say anything. Uh, I think as they were coming in, they flashed a badge, you know the fuck that is and 
they and they went right to the stage and handcuffed Steve on stage. Didn't and, let the show in? No. Handcuffed him on stage, and there was an exit door on that end of the room, and they went r- right out that door and gone, right? And so, <laughs> yeah. So everybody in the room thinks it's it's part of the show. Right. I mean, everybody thinks this is just a thing that's happening as part of the show. So that's always the lucky thing of being the club owner who is a comedian. Yeah. Because anywhere else, the show's over. I mean, it's just over. So I just got on stage and assured everybody that, you know, th- th- this was not a joke. Yeah. But that w- I told them what had happened. And then I just started making jokes about Steve being in jail, you know, and, you know, just that. I just started riffing on that and then went into my act and did some time. Good and, save. Yeah, had, that's, what else are you going to do? And uh, it's definitely not refunded. But I did, <laughs> I did find out who those two guys were, and uh, I went through a process of doing what I needed to do to get their uh, licenses taken away. Oh, wow. Yes, absolutely. You are going to be doing your first special with Open Bar Comedy. Have you ever had a special before? Have you have you ever done any special? I know you like we film ourselves and we do documentaries and things yeah, like I that. Yeah, I mean, but. yeah, but never. I mean, you know, yeah, I've done. I've just, you know, Ken and I did a, a DVD as a team. I did a DVD as an individual at one point that we just produced ourselves. But no, no, never, never a special. And you know, when you and I talked about it in the beginning, I thought it was so wonderful what you've done. Is that all these? All these wonderful comedians that are out there, and there's a ton of them, uh, uh, that have never had a well-produced piece. And, uh, and a big part of that is if you don't live in L.A. or New York and you don't have representation, you know what I mean? If you're just a road comic, the idea that you're going to get picked up for something like that is pretty – it's hard if you're in the mix. And then when you're outside of it, you know, yeah. I mean, I remember – the, the first time I got a set at Catch a Rising Star in New York, and uh, I just happened to work with a guy named J.J. Wall, who was a really good headliner, who was also one of the house MCs there. And so, uh, uh, and we got to be kind of friends because I'd worked with him a few times. And he was like, hey, when, next time you're in the city, I'll put you up, you know. And you know how it was getting on at Catch or any of those places. was oh, super, it's impossible. super hard. And and I, call, I called him, I said, I'm in town, I'd like to do a set. And that was the closest thing to something like this because he said, uh, he goes, well, when do you want to go up? I go, I get to pick when I want to go up. Yeah. I said, I don't know, Thursday? Thursday would be good. I, Thursday with what I got going on. He goes, I goes, I tell you what, he goes, that's cool. He goes, look, he goes, I've got Letterman auditions that night. I got five acts that are auditioning for Letterman. All Letterman's people will be here. I'm going to put you right in the middle of them as a break. And I, in my naive ate, said, I am so on fucking Letterman. <laughs> I, I was just like, like I just thought, man, I'm a killer middle. <laughs> you know, I am so on Letterman. I got a tight five. I'm smoking. Well, I was a feature act then. Sure. I was a solid feature. But and got in there and uh, the MC started talk was talking to the audience in the beginning and doing some crowd work where are you from where are you from Tennessee Alabama Georgia half the crowd were tourists from the southeast Perfect. and i was like well this is it you know and i went on and just killed just had a, i mean as good a set as i could have and i think as good as any of the letterman auditioners had 
And I just thought in my, my <laughs> naive, you know, that that would matter, you know, and you would get stuff from that. Well, is, is that what led you to be a club owner? Is that something that, um, um, I mean, you wanted to Staying live married to my wife is what led me <laughs> to be a club owner. What is the best thing about being a club owner and the worst? Well, the, be the best thing about being in this situation is that, uh, and it goes back to my wife, uh, I get, I've been able to stay in the, uh, I've been able to keep the job that I fell in love with without touring and because the touring part of it for me after the first two or three years you know the first two or three years is fun you're young whatever you're going places you've never been before but then when you start repeating those places you know and you're going back to Dayton Ohio and you know in Augusta Georgia and wherever the hell uh you know, it's it's a little hamster on a wheel, you know. The the road begets the road. And being away from I'd already seen it. I'd already seen marriages don't survive when you're away from home more than your home. Even when you're away from home as much as you're and you're talking about being away twenty five weeks a year, and that's I mean, the money that you're making in the beginning, as you know, you really need that 40 weeks out there, you know. So for a marriage to survive that is rare, very rare, uh, especially when you're not making a lot of money. I mean, one thing, if you're sending $20,000 home a week, you know, then she might, she might hate your guts and go, fuck, I'll stick with it for a while. <laughs> but you otherwise, know? she sees it as a hobby. Yes, yes. This so, is your little dream that's not panning out too much money. Exactly You're out on right. the road, gone all the time. Why are we together? Exactly right. So it was either I realized that to keep a marriage, to, to keep the marriage intact, I either had to live in New York or L.A., get a day job there, only do comedy there, you know, develop there. And not really tour, you know. I had to take touring out of the out of the thing, but being a comedy club owner, it did the same thing, but I had a lot more control over it, you know. And then the other beautiful thing of being a comedy club owner, when you're a headliner, you don't get to work with other headliners. Often, I got to work with all the greatest headliners that yeah. you could possibly, you know, get just about, and get to know them, and you know, get the I mean, get to learn. From 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 all those different uh, great acts that we bought, brought through, I mean uh, that was I mean it was just the best. And who's the most famous person that you that you got to work with that you were so stoked about? Well, definitely Tommy Chong for me. I mean, growing up with Cheech and Chong, and in their heyday, and I mean literally we could recite every album you know and to one day book him and call my best friend ken and go ken i'm picking up tommy chong at the airport he's got a red eye we're picking him up at 5 30 in the morning and then we're doing three radio stations in tampa i go you're crazy if you're not in that car with me yeah. you know he was and we 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 everywhere we went with tommy that day Somebody gave him a joint or a bag. Yes, Every, he's always getting weed. Where we went, everywhere we went, and Ken asked him. He goes, "How often does that happen?" He goes, "Every day, every day," and he keeps it yeah. right, smokes it all. And uh, so, 
So we, uh, we had this day with him that was, he was super nice right off the bat, very easy to hang out with, made us very comfortable, and just a great guy. And uh, we got through with the last radio show and, uh, and started driving back. And I had, uh, I had an Acura. It was the nicest car I'd ever had. Pam and I had bought a, about a four-year-old Acura. And we're about to hit the Skyway Bridge. We're about a few miles from it. Tommy takes out a joint and, and, and lights it up, passes it up to us. We're all sitting there, da da, puts a joint out or throws it out the window, and then he goes, "Guys, I got a crash." And he just within almost like a minute, he was asleep in the back of the car. And we're going up the Skyway Bridge, and I said, "Ken, all I got to say about where I'm at in my life right now, Tommy Chong is passed out in the back of my Acura." <laughs> I said, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, it couldn't get any better than this. And it did get a lot better than that. I bet. Well, you have some other famous people in your phone, like uh, rock stars, mm-hmm. um, Smothers Brothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've had, just looking around this room, amazing people that have come through this room. Like, uh, what, there's Tony Rock, the Louis C.K. has, uh, come, when he came out of retirement, not retirement, when he came out of that little forced little retirement. Little thing, little, little thing, thing that, that happened. happened that little 18, thing, yeah. And then he came back, I think he was here in 2019, I want to mm-hmm. say, yeah. uh, when He'd he came here. back and did like a small theater tour and, yeah. and he was here, what, this is one of the clubs that he chose to come back at. Right. Like, you got a call from somebody and they said, hey, Louis C.K. wants to come in and do a couple nights, right? Something like that. The ones that I got a call from the act, the two, uh, one was Pauly Shore. Uh, now I just happened to be here, and my assistant Bronwyn goes, Pauly Shore's on the phone. She goes, and it sounds like it's Pauly Shore. <laughs> and, of course, he's so distinctive, you know. So that was nice to set it up uh, himself, because usually it's always an agent. And the other one was most recently in the past year, uh, Dice. The, oh, yeah. And he, he called himself? Called. Yes. Well, actually, we got an email, and then uh, – uh, uh, from someone who is actually his opening act, Eleanor Kerrigan, who's a great comedian. And uh, she was the one we had at first. So I thought I was just going to deal with Eleanor. And then I said, I'll call you. So I called Eleanor and Eleanor. And I go, yeah, what's the deal? And Eleanor goes, well, hang on just a second. And then you get, hey, cuz, what's up? You know, and I'm like, what has it been work to, like to work with Dice? Like, he's great. Uh, he's wonderful. Nice guy. Is he different off stage? Because he's who I grew up with. Listening yeah, yeah, to. yeah. I mean, he's Dice. You know, he's, but I mean, he's, well, the character he plays on stage is kind of a, you know, it, it's like Larry the Cable Guy. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a dumbed down character, you know, this. And of course, Dice is a brilliant guy. He's super smart and, and multi-talented. And, uh, but he is that Italian character, you know, yeah. guy. And, uh, but no, uh, just, a, just a, a wonderful guy to hang out with, really. No, uh, you know, easy. Uh, yeah. Talk on the phone sometimes. Just That's cool. Nice guy. Yeah. I got to catch this show. Whenever we do our vidcast, we always like to involve some kind of fun product. And what we've been doing is comparing some cool different kinds of underwears. You've heard of these pouch, like ball pouchy yep. underwears that are holding uh, a guy's balls for there's like a new underwear that's coming out. So we're trying out some different brands. And we had like one that was um, from the Saks company right. and uh, S-A-X-X. And it's go. got like this um, mesh thing yeah. that's, uh, you know, there for... 
to keep your balls in place. So I'm also wearing one from, the one I'm wearing now is actually from All Citizens, and it's a pretty comfortable one, and I actually had to kind of place my guys in there. But Do I have to show I my really, underwear? You don't have to show your underwear at all. But the one that we're trying today is the Jockey one. This is the Jockey uh, brand one, and it has a no-chafe pouch. And it's even saying in here, it kind of has the same kind of, uh, I don't know why this one is wet. I don't want to try it on anymore. But um, it's got like a pouch there as well. You know, it, you know and this is, as got to say, because we know that, because I've seen these, I've seen these kind before, and it just seems like, it just seems like it's too much. And there's other types of jockey underwear, you know, that are simpler, but these got a lot of bells and whistles there going. The older you get, the more the balls drop, right? The more they sag, the more they, you know. Whereas when you're younger, they're generally, you know, they're, they're in place. tighter. Yeah, they're high and tight, right? Yeah. And uh, and I'm proud to say I'm still running pretty, pretty, really? pretty tight. That's awesome. Not, well, not know, too bad. I'm glad. Although I will say this, I gotta say this. I was working in Atlantic City, and every time I finished the show, I go down this little bar, sidebar, and there was this hooker that was there every fucking night, and she was rough, rough Puerto Rican girl, two two teeth missing in the front, and her name was like Hazel or something crazy like that. And so about the third night, you know, she walk in, me and the other act, she'd go, "Comedy boys." Hey, Hazel, we're all working. We're all in entertainment. Yeah. We're all working. She goes, you know, I blew Dangerfield once. <laughs> Balls the size of grapefruits. <laughs> Balls the size of grapefruits. So Rodney now would totally need yeah, those. He would. Totally. These seem a little bit different. It seems like this one has just like an area for them to drop in, but nothing really kind of keep keeping them in. Uh, as much as the other ones, so I'm going to drop mine in these. See, and you Not wear really. you you wear no. tight jeans too. Usually, uh, kind of tight, tight jeans, tight yeah. pants. I do too. Yeah. I do too. Which, see, that's that's where I have an issue sometimes. If an underwear has a long, yeah, and they ride on it. Yes, well, I here. need something with a short. I need the. So that's the boxer brief. Is that, that the last time he did this? I booked him. Uh, <laughs> So let me report on these jockeys because I didn't want to come out in my underwear with these because they're not flattering at all. It's not flattering for me. I'm not coming out in my underwear with these things. I feel very supported right. and they, they fell right in it, but the all citizens are much better because these are riding up. I can already tell that they're riding up. You can totally tell like right here is the thing. I'm just saying my balls fit nice in this little thing here. If you place them in and they stay really nice and then these, um, uh, kept them from riding up on me. So all citizens, all the way. Give me a great comedy story. Do you have a wonderful comedy? Like, what is, like, uh, one comedy story that um, is, like, uh, uh, not only motivational, but inspirational, cool comedy story? Well, I, I, there's a bunch of them. I'm trying to think of something when you say that. I'm trying to think of something that is uh, uh, highly motivational. Like what advice would you give to a new comic these days? Laughs per minute, you know, is the is the thing that seems like has fallen by the wayside. It's become a lot of storytelling mm -hmm. uh, without as many laughs, you know, and thinking that that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but the the advice I give is this: is that is that don't lose sight of the fact of why you're doing this. The number one reason you're doing this is for the audience, not for you. Number two is you. Okay, but it's number one's them, you know, and I and we all see a lot of performers that lose sight of that. 
And because people walk in this door, they don't walk in here to be enlightened. They don't walk in here to be motivated or inspired or to learn anything. They don't. They might get some of those things in an auxiliary way, and that's a bonus. They come in here to laugh. It's the only reason they come in here. It's the only, that's what we promote when they walk in this door. And, and that's what they need when they walk in this door. They, they, they need a, a, a mini vacation from, from the bullshit. They don't need to hear more bullshit. Yes. Uh, they don't need to hear your spin on more bullshit unless it's hilariously funny. Yes. You know, which tempers it. And uh, so uh, remember that first, that that's, that's what it's all about. If we have a mission statement for our place is that everyone that walks in the front door feels better when they walk out the back door. And so, you know, that that's the main that's the main thing and with with any comic that comes in and what is neat is when you see comics that uh when you talk to comics about how it's changed their life in the most positive way and that they've found a way the comics that have found a way to be grounded in it to find a good balance a good life balance and and uh and so there here here you are in in the in the uh career of spreading joy of uplifting everything of uh with all the shit that people uh are are inundated with uh all the time and people go especially nowadays eh, any day any day but uh you know when people come in here and and say it's more than the comics it's the audience members and i that's what it is so when the audience members come up to you and tell you a story about that's tragic, tragic, and this is the first time I've felt good, felt okay in this since that happened. And when I walk out your door, I'll feel better, but I'll wake up tonight and I'll still be in the middle of that tragedy, you know, come back again. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best feeling is to be a professional distractor like that you know yeah. we're distracting people from these just a moment in time without just loud take laughter right without loud laughter you know like you say you can be distracting a lot of different ways but without loud making you laugh that when that happens to someone's body it's unlike it's unlike anything else you know and um so yeah yeah that's what have you decided part. to name your special what is the a name false of? sense of self-worth False sense of self-worth. Where does that come from? It's in the show. Okay. It's in the special. It's in the special. Right. A false sense of self. I'm not, I can't give it away because it's a... Okay. It's a... It's, in, it's a spoiler. It's a spoiler. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, you know, in all of the years that I've known you, I mean, we started... I moved to Florida in 1999, and you're one of the first people that I ever worked for here at, at McCurdy's when we moved here. And over the years, you know, you host the shows and, um, you know, I've rarely seen you do like a full set, like just your, right. your set, because you're usually just doing the host duties. You're breaking in the audience, right. you're getting the energy up, you're talking to people in the crowd and doing crowd work. So you're actually doing material tonight that you've, is it from a long time ago? Are they new ones? Is it a mixture of everything? No, it's, it's, it's most all of this stuff is stuff, all of it is stuff that was developed after the pandemic when we came back. Okay, now, cool. it doesn't have, and there's not one thing in there that has anything to do with the pandemic, but it's all newer, newer stuff as far as that goes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been it's fun because it's probably been uh, 15 years since I really went out and did 
sets i mean every now and then but a set set so it's fun it's fun putting together it was fun having lou angel wolf and flip schultz and you know uh uh, uh carl ramey uh, uh, you know guys that are just you know just great road acts and here that paid attention to what you're doing you know and you know and talk you know give you some notes and it was fun it was really fun okay so you've been bouncing some ideas off of these guys as far as your, your special and, and, and not really asking you know they were just they were after, giving you we're advice all anyway. sitting back there and they're going hey when, you know how it is hey when you do that what about this okay. you know or whatever or i noticed in your setup it seemed like you know those all those tightening the screws thing and uh, it was it was fun it was fun it's a puzzle it's a work game it's, it's great fun okay so the name of it again is a false sense false sense of, of self worth okay i got it all right uh, we would like to thank Les McCurdy for joining us on the Open Bar Comedy Show. His special is called A False Sense of Self-Worth. You need to watch it on openbarcomedy.com to find out what that actually means. But uh, Les McCurdy and McCurdy's Comedy Theater has been here for over, uh, what, 25 years? and 40! 40 years. Jesus Christ, <laughs> I'm way off. So, uh, And it'll be here another 40 years. So uh, if you're ever in the Sarasota area, check out McCurdy's Comedy Theater and Les McCurdy's Comedy Special.